Hey guys, it's Hiba. Today on Kerning Cultures, we're gonna get a little mystical. Okay, so tell me how this all started, Zena. I first heard about the Zar last summer. This is producer Zena Duidar. It was my first time ever hearing about it, and it was one of my friends. He told me there was something cool he wanted to show me, and he said it was in downtown Cairo. I asked what it was, he wouldn't tell me. He told me I would have no clue what we were doing before we got there. We get in the car, we're driving through downtown Cairo. I recognize nothing around me. I have no idea where we're going or where he's taking me. And we pull up to this theater and it was packed with people. There were so many people inside. And we sat down. It was kind of a theater space. So there was an empty space at the front. And then towards the back, it was kind of lined with rows of chairs. And we sat somewhere towards the very back of the room. After a little bit of time from behind us, these performers came out with instruments. All of these different, really traditional Egyptian instruments, so like big tablas and tamburas and stringed instruments and percussions and all of these different instruments. And they came out to the front of the room and they started performing music I had never heard before and I had no clue what was happening. I didn't even have a frame of reference for what the music sounded like. There was absolutely nothing I knew that sounded like it. It's a more healing music. They call it healing music abroad. This is Zakaria Ibrahim. He's a researcher of folkloric rituals in Egypt. It heals people through the music, through song, through its powerful chanting, through especially its dancing. The Zar brings out specific bodily movements that combined with powerful music can free the soul. So Zena had just attended her first Zar ritual. When I asked my own friends, very few of them knew about the practice and the ones that did didn't know much about it or only knew things about it through movies and through kind of popular culture, which portrayed it in a very, very different light. So we really grew up with this like very grim, very scary idea of what Azor is, just from what we saw in movies, basically, because that was the only place that you would ever hear about Zor. This is Hiba Afifi, managing producer for Arabic at Kerning Cultures. She's also Egyptian. There's a lot of curiosity, but then there's also fear of, you know, because it's really in a lot of people's heads about, you know, playing with dark spirits. So if you have any superstitious bone, then it's also a little scary. You know, like you you don't want to play with that. Like even if you don't really believe in it, you don't want to try it.
The reason as to why the Zaru is seen as so dark and scary by most people is that it deals with jinn. It communicates with jinn through the music and through our dancing and our bodily movements. Jinn are known as spirits. They're not like demons. It's not like um, kind of Western demons. They're more spirits. They're they're not good or they're not bad. They just are. They're, I mean, at least through my religious teaching, I was taught that they were another one of God's creations between kind of humans and, and, and I mean, angels. There were spirits that were kind of in our earth and around us. There are spirits everywhere around us. Um, in the skies, in the water, in our rooms, uh, inside of us. Spirits or jinn in Arabic? When when you become possessed by jinn or when the jinn are inside of you, sometimes they can be upset at you or they can be angry at something that you did or a way that you behaved or just anything at all. And you might start having physical symptoms. And so these symptoms could be anything from feeling sick to not being able to get up in the morning to, you know, a woman we spoke to said that her eyes started swelling up, that her jaw dropped and she couldn't move it. And at that point, when you're sick and you go to the doctor and and you don't know what's happening to you and the doctors aren't able to help you, then you might go to a czar. And they try to reconciliate you to the czar or the spirit inside of you. And Zar is a practice of healing the jinn inside of you. So today, a story about reconciling the spirits within us and the practice of Zar. I'm Hiba Fisher. With us today is Zena Duidar, and this is Kerning Cultures. Stories from the Middle East and North Africa and the spaces in between. And one story that always kind of captures my imagination. And you're listening to Kerning Cultures. So in Egypt, the idea of being possessed by jinn is very paramount among both Christians and Muslims. This is Dr. Hagar al-Hadidi. She's an assistant professor of cultural anthropology at the University of California, Bakersfield, and has been a practitioner and a researcher of the Zor for decades. She also wrote a seminal book about it. I spoke to her on Skype, so the audio might be a little choppy. So one way of dealing with this is to to have something that reconcile you to the Zor the jinn that possess you. It's not an exorcism, it's pacification. Because it is believed within Zor itself that you cannot get rid of it. The Zor ceremony itself involves the women who's feeling ill, the sheikha or hostess, and the musicians. The ceremony usually involves some sort of animal sacrifice, which can range in size depending on your wealth. So it can be anything from small birds to a goat or a sheep. It's about blood. It's about offering blood. So you're offering this sacrifice instead of yourself so that you pacify the relationship between you and this spirit, let's say. Along with the sacrifice, music and dancing is a big part of the Zor. The aim is to enter a trance through this dancing. 
you just disconnect with the world. You, it's totally peaceful. You can have visions within it. You can, you can have colors in your head, like green, like horses, or nothing. Over the years and through popular culture, the reconciliation aspect of the Tsar was overshadowed by what people thought was an exorcism. The cinema horribly misrepresented the Tsar. Movies showed Raya and Skina, the serial killers, as Tsar people. In later films, in the 70s and 80s, Tsar performers were presented as evil conmen who would try to trick and rob the heroes. It was always represented as evil and violent. Raya and Skina were two sisters in Egypt in the early 1900s who were serial killers. In the films and TV shows that were made about them afterwards, they were often portrayed as Zor people, who would lure women in from the markets with the promises of a Zor, only to drug them and kill them. Zor is looked at as a practice that is conducted by people who are heathens or people that lost their track. This is Suhail al-Fakehani. She's a master's student at the American University in Cairo writing her thesis on spiritual healing methods. Honestly, I feel like it's understandable because I had the same ideas because this is what you're sold. You're sold that these people are not close to God and they don't know what they're doing. They just, they're charlatans basically that sell you fraudulent uh, services and you're not supposed to do such a thing. I thought it was going to be a very underground and all scary and I'm going to be possessed. Yani my, my first Aslan reaction to even starting this research was I'm going to be arrested or possessed. There's no way out of it that I'm going to be safe. I think our, our impression of it was that it's a very morbid ritual. This is Hiba Afifi again. It has to do with spirits and evil spirits and the person undergoing it goes through something uh, really painful and traumatic and like faints in the middle of it. So that, that was the image that we had. And that's why it has to be painful and it has to be so excruciating and, and it has to end so dramatically because, I mean, when she faints, supposedly it means that, you know, this is the moment that whatever evil spirit inside her has come out. When my friend took me to that Zor in Cairo last summer, in that big theater space, I realized that what I had attended was a mainstream Zor. The more traditional Zor isn't that public. It's underground, it's more secretive and usually harder to find. We spent weeks trying to find the traditional Zor for us to go to. And after many, many, many leads, we finally found one. I recruited Hiba Afifi and Nadine Shaker, two of Kernan Culture's producers, to attend the Zor. So I, I have to say that we were actually a little scared and we even took a male uh, <laughs> companion with us, um, as embarrassing as that is. But we were excited and very curious, but we were a little worried as well. And we really didn't know what to expect. There are two people who are like mainly responsible for the Zor. There is the woman who hosts it and then she kind of initiates the ceremony. And then there is the head of uh, the band that performs the rest of it. I am Um Musayyid. 
Umma Sayyid was the host of the Zor that Hibban Nadine attended. She's a friendly woman in her late 50s. She was wearing a galabeya, which is a traditional Egyptian dress, and had a loosely wrapped scarf around her head. So the host, she basically, I mean, it's, it takes place in the host's house, small house in a small alley. The Zor took place in a room in Umma Sayyid's home. The walls were painted a sort of pale yellow, and it was peeling and cracked in some places. There were chairs lined up against the walls, and the room felt full, even though there were only a few people inside. And then there were three women who had come this day for the Zor. So when the Zor starts, the host will go with some sort of scent and start reciting something and going over the women uh, with that scent. Um Sayyid went over each woman with the incense, letting the smoke and the smell purify her body. It's believed that the smell of the incense attracts the spirit according to its favorite scent. And then the women will pay, each one of them will pay whatever she wants. One of them couldn't even pay anything and the woman was okay with that. One of them paid 200 pounds, one of them paid 20 pounds and it's fine. That's about 1.2 and 12 US dollars. And then the band will start uh, going in order and playing for each woman the song that she likes. The head of the band is known as the Royas, or the leader of the Zor. At this Zor, it was a man named Am Ahmad. Am Ahmad was a tall man wearing a t-shirt and a pair of sweatpants. He had decades of experience of performing the Zor. He did not look older than 50. At the Zor we went to, one woman was complaining about her back. I get a lot of problems. Sometimes these problems make me bedridden and I can't move. At one point before my daughter's wedding, I was in bed for three months. And I was lying in bed screaming. And if someone came near me, I'd scream. But when the doctor came and moved my leg around, left and right and pressed on it, I didn't feel any pain. When I go to the doctor, I don't feel pain the way I feel when I'm at home. He can't help me. But when the Rais, or leader of the ritual, started playing her music, she got up and started moving. When a lady first comes to us, we chant, O spirits of the earth, for the Prophet's sake, be pleased by me. Her body starts shaking, and when I feel her body tingle, I start increasing the drumming and singing louder. This is called the preparation. I watch her, and then her body just jumps in front of me. Her body straightens out, and then it's just screaming and crying. And from that, I can find out what happened to her. I ask her, for instance, do you wake up a lot at night and find spots on your body? Scratches on your body. She says yes or no. This happens. The mirror the mirrors have spirits, the bathrooms have spirits, the skies, the earth, the sea, everything has spirits, everything has spirits specific to them. Hagar told me about the Royas at one of her first Zars. They watch your body, they read your body semiotically. They, they actually read you. I'm kind of sitting there and they started noticing that my toes were sh- uh, moving. I swear to you, my toes, not my face, nothing, my toes. They can, they're tuned to your body. 
And then they, the musicians came and stood above me to make me entice. This is, I have never done this before, right? Nobody else knows it. If it was music or microphone, you won't get it because it's only when they read your body that you that they actually take you. There were people during that time that they were just crying, just crying. And that identified them as being uh, possessed or by being having uh, symptoms of possession. In figuring out what songs affect the women, Ahmed learns more about the spirits themselves. The songs represent the, let's say, the theatrical script and the knowledge about the particular spirit that is causing your affliction. So, you know, what character they are, what personality they are, what they do. These spirits are neither bad or good. They're whimsical. They're not like Western ideas of demons. They're not demons. They're just whimsical. You also cannot have one spirit possessing you. Every spirit brings its brother. Sometimes it's family members. And they're like organized like clans, big families, different ethnicities, different theatrical understanding, different stories. She told me that spirits come from all over the world and that they have genders, professions and personalities. And uh, some of them are Muslim, some of them are Jewish, some of them are uh, pagan, you know, some of them are Chinese, some of them are Indians. They come in many different forms and they're like humans. By understanding these spirits, sheikhs and royuses like Umm Sayyid and Amm Ahmad said they can help these women be better. Every woman has her songs, according to the spirits that are troubling her. For instance, one dances to El Sayyid and is calm. That's the song that relieves her the most. Someone can dance to the Sudanese spirits, like Umm Nabil, and someone can dance to El Deir. El Deir are Christian spirits, which means the spirit possessing her is Christian. I asked Hagar what triggers the spirits. The Karin is another name for the spirit possessing you. It's known better as an altar spirit. When Hagar refers to the Zor, she's talking about both the ritual and the spirits. It, there had to have happened something specifically that kind of aggravated them. That you cry a lot, that you look at yourself in the mirror a lot. You know, some some behavior they don't like. And the kind of problems that Zor causes has to do with fertility, marriage, old age. So it, they're all related to your life cycle as a human being. All of us have Zor, but some of us don't know it. When we left off, Hagar was telling us about the importance of the music to the spirits. Each song is divided into three rhythmic difference. It starts slow, it gets more accentuated, and then it goes very high according to your dancing style to put you into trance.
سمعت حضرتك الطبل اللي خدته في الاول ايه على هذا ذا درامينج اي توك ان ذا بيجينينج ذات واز كويت اند افتر ذات اي ستارتد تيكينج اب ذا تيمبل بيت باي بيت وعايز الزياده وام طاير بقى بالطبل وام ايه ميكينج ات فاست انتل هير بودي هاز سينكت اب ويز ماي ريذم اند وانس مور And then I make it even faster until she puts her hand to her chest to say enough. So I stop drumming. It's meditative. You just go, it's total focus and you just have peace. And your face before and after is amazing. So you're kind of... you know stressed and full of anguish in your face and then you get this stress and you look so pretty even my friends who have nothing to do with zar sometimes they come and you know she comes what happened to you why is it, your face is completely different in my life i've trans maybe five times very deep five times i'm 63 I have even seen people who hardly can walk. When the trance happens, they can go up to half a meter off the ground. I have it on tape. It's my mental state. I love the party. As soon as I hear the drumming and chanting, that's it. I'm in another world. It's as if you've put makeup, you're wearing your favorite cocktail dress, you're going to a place you like. It feels the same for me in the Zohar. Each woman there had a story about how going to the Zohar and dancing to Mahmoud's music made her feel better or healed her. It's a party. It's it's quite cool. It's kind of like a women's club. At the Zahr Hibban Nadina attended, only women were participating. This was no coincidence. To understand that, we need to look deeper into the history. There are many types of Zahrs, but the Zahr, the Egyptian Zahr, the form of the Egyptian Zahr comes directly from Ethiopia, from uh, Abyssinia. While Zahr stands for both the spirits and the ritual itself, The history of the word also traces the history of the practice. And the first record of the word Zar appears in a Ga'iz text in the 16th century. Ga'iz is the classical language of Ethiopia. It's a dead language now, and Ga'iz is to Amharic kind of like what Latin is to Italian. It could be older, but we don't have a written record of it. The Zar trickled into Egypt in the 18th century through Abyssinian slaves and through the Red Sea trade during the Ottoman Empire. Merchants who were trading with Yemen and with Abyssinia got wealthy and started buying Ethiopian female slaves to increase their households. Those songs themselves when you analyze them you get all of this. In one of the oldest songs that was played with Anhar it says The big spirit is called Mama Mama it also exists in Ethiopia 
The other names were developed in Egypt for its own, but Mama, as an Ethiopian spirit, appears in, in Ethiopia before it got recorded in Egypt. The Zara was predominantly a female cult, particularly in Ethiopia. As it arrived to Egypt, it remained a predominantly women-centric practice. It becomes extremely popular by 1870 because there were changes. People wanted to change. And then there were even new forms like Zara Girina. A garden Zara. Zara al-Hammam. A Zara in the public baths. Zara al-Sutuh. A rooftop Zara. Changing lifestyles and ideological beliefs transformed the Zar from a common ritual to one that was seen as pagan or demonic by most. As popular culture and movies began portraying the Zar as evil, public opinion about the Zar quickly turned around. With younger generations disinterested or dismissive of the Zar, there's no one attending it and no one willing to learn it either. The more I read, the more I realized that it was really everywhere. And I remember talking with my grandmother and she was telling me that her siblings used to do the Zor, her aunts and uncles used to do the Zor, that it was something that was quite common to attend one, not even just to like be actively part of one, but to know about one or to know where to go or to have friends that were into it, that you would kind of, it was a cool thing at some point. It was like a popular thing to do. The audience started not showing up, and so they stopped believing in the Tsar compared to the older generations. And this made it harder, because no one from the newer generation is learning the art of the Tsar. The generation that is currently existing is 50 to 70 years old, and there is no emerging generation, and so it will die. The old form of Zar is no longer here. The ones that inherited it from their parents are the ones that are working. But there are no newer generations. I can count the number of remaining performers on my fingers. And even the women working at the Zar are now just six or seven. Hagar Sheikha, or the host she would go to, was Sheikha Anhar. And following her death, her daughter Sheikha Karima, who had learned it from her mother. Sheikha Karima passed several years ago, and I asked Hagar whether she is still attending Zars. I love it, but I, it doesn't, without Sheikha Karima, I, there is no Zar for me, no more. I love it, I still do it, I still dance, but I'm not anymore in it. I don't trance anymore. Without Sheikhas to host and understand the histories of the Zar spirits, the Zar practice as we know it is slowly dying out. But it's a pity that this wonderful practice that was good for women and strengthening them and giving them an outlet, an exit, and uh, joy, you know, it was kind of quite intimate. We call each other on the phone. It's a network of friends. It's gone. Without the women, it just will be different. It will be just an, yet another things to do. 
unless somebody emerges with a new idea. And new ideas have come in. Cultural centers like Al Mustaba, which Zakaria founded, are hoping to popularize the Zar once more by showcasing the rich history and complexity of the music. Here at the Mustaba Center, we made a Zar album and have recorded videos and a documentary film on the Zar. And we have a lot of content that we're trying to archive and use in new ways. The Zor performances taking place in cultural venues, they're, they're mostly a performance that people are there to witness and enjoy. But the Zor that took place in the woman's house that we went to, it was a ritual that was being performed very actively from, from both sides. At the Mastaba Center, we present the Zar at the Dhamma Theater, the first and the third Saturday every month, without its rituals. I mean, we present the music of the Zar itself to a new audience that buy tickets for it. An audience that doesn't believe it's coming to get healed. No, there's none of that. They just want to see the Zar. So we present the Zar as a history and music. Even the Zar rituals themselves are changing. I spoke to Suhaila, who had attended some of these modern Zars. I feel like it's a reverse situation where people modernize in order to demystify or debunk the, the, the mystification that happened to Zars and Hadras. It's not about they're turning modern so people are thinking better of them. It's more of they're turning modern in order for people to think that way. You're going to feel intimidated if it's too dark, I'm going to have lights. You're going to feel intimidated if my voice is too loud, I'm going to turn it down a notch. The biggest modern technique they're doing right now is that they have social media. Hi, I am here, I'm not afraid, I'm not mystical, I'm not scary, I'm not something that you should be afraid of. And I'm going to market myself as a service that is provided by practitioners, just like any other services. Why are we stuck to authenticity in a very rigid way, you know? I don't think it's, it's going to end, but the way I knew it is no longer there. But is it continuing in different forms? Of course, that's what humans do. But is it the healing uh, ritual that came from Ethiopia and developed for a particular reason, for a socioeconomic uh, and sociocultural and, and psychological reason in a certain time left. But it is still on. This episode was produced by Zaina Duidar with editorial support from Dana Balut, Tamara Rasamni, Nadine Shaker, Alex Atak, and myself, Hiba Fisher. Sound design by Tamara Rasamni and Mohamed Khayzat, and fact-checking by Zaina Duidar. Bala Ibrahim is our marketing director, and Kerning Cultures is a production of the Kerning Cultures Network. Thank you to everyone who spoke to us for this episode. Dr. Hagar Al-Hadidi, Suhaila Al-Fakahani, Zakaria Ibrahim, Ahmad Al-Shinkahawi, Hiba Afifi, Umm Sayyid, and the women at the Zar. Thank you also to Dalia Talawi, Abir Osman, Alia Halish, Basma Isa, Mamdouh Zakaria, and Mohamed Khayzat for dubbing voices in this episode. You guys are the best. 
If you want to learn more about the Zor, we encourage you to check out Heger al-Hadidi's book, Zor, Spirit Possession, Music, and Healing Rituals in Egypt. We'll link to it in this episode's description as well. And a big, big thank you to all of our new patrons supporting us on Patreon this month. To Nasser, Majd, Craig, Wasim, Robert, Amy, Ala, Lubna, Sumi, Samar, and Ian. Thank you all for your support. You are making the production of these stories possible. If you're listening to this and you would like to support us on Patreon for the price of your cup of coffee each month, head to patreon.com slash cultures. We did the math on this and figured that if just 1% of of our listeners, if you became patrons, we'd be able to cover our production costs. It's 1%. Come on, guys, be the 1%. Patreon.com slash cultures, or click the link in this episode's description. We'll be back next week with a new story. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That moment, I can't say it. That moment when the woman can't take it anymore is the climax. Someone's gonna edit that line out and like blackmail you with it for the rest of my life.